Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. Today, Dr. Bryce Ashland Mayo is continuing our Advent series titled, When He Comes Again, The Second Advent. And last week, and just this past weekend, we introduced our new student ministries pastor that came onto the team, Devin Snellgrove. We're very excited he's here and that he's joining with us here at Southview. Before we get started, I just want to play an announcement from Sam this weekend regarding our December giving project. Just want to say a couple of things on uh, as we enter this uh, second week of uh, Advent and we're focusing on love and what does love mean for us as a community as we seek to love God and, and love our neighbor and uh, many of you may or may not know but there's over 2,500 people that are connected through the ministry of Southview week in and week out in various ways from our community to things that happen within this facility and all of these things takes um, a whole family of people uh, doing uh, giving of their time, their talents, and their resources. And so as we enter this December uh, season, uh, each year we uh, kind of put a goal out of what uh, our December giving challenge would be to continue to move ministry forward here at Southview. And so our goal this December is $585,000. And you may be like, wow, that's a huge number. But just to let you know, the last two Christmases, uh, we did 543000 and 583000 So it's right in the ballpark. And this money actually goes to continue to help us move forward on mission as a church into the coming months and to finish off this year. And so we are so thankful for how you give generously of your time, but also of your gifts. And uh, there's uh, so we want to just invite you to prayerfully consider how you can give a year-end gift above and beyond uh, towards this December challenge to help us uh, move the ministry forward here at Southview. And there's lots of different ways that you can give, and uh, we've been hearing about them. One of them is online. You can go through Realm or our, uh, southviewchurch.com on our website. There's information there. You can also go drop off uh, cash or checks at our donation boxes, which are at the back of our facility. There's one out in the Cardo as well. And you can also text. I don't know if there's a limit on uh, texting, but if someone could just uh, text $585,000 tonight and we could just call it a wash, uh, we could find out if that app actually works and we would just cover our December giving. That'd be great. Uh, but uh, we're so thankful for your gifts. Also, another way, some people uh, don't give that way. Maybe you want to give with equities. And so this is one way that maybe you would consider uh, giving uh, towards the ministry here at Southview. And if you would like to look at that option, just contact our church and they'll direct you to our finance department and help walk you through that process. And you may be asking, uh, like, well, what if I do give money, where does that money go here at Southview? Well, the reality is we have multiple things that are happening here all the time. And maybe when you walked in, you saw the big packing, the pantry uh, thing that we're, we're partnering with the Stony Dakota Reserves as we did last year with the backpacks. And this year we're packing their pantry. And so we're asking for you to donate towards that. And the food goes towards that. We're trying to fill up their pantries so families have food uh, this Christmas. We have a booth out in the Cardo. If you want to go check that out, we still need volunteers. We have a big packing party coming up on December 12th that you can be a part of. And all of these things go to continue to help us reach out into our community with the love of Jesus. And we have a student ministry that's happening every Tuesday night. We, this last week, we had over 100 students there. And a, about a month ago, I was playing revenge dodgeball uh, with uh, students. And uh, I got smoked because they always go for me for some reason. And so I'm sitting down and a, a junior high kid got smoked right next to me and he sat down. 
And I was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, leans over. And he looks at me and he says, hey, that's my friend over there. I invited him for the first time and he came and he's not a Christian. He was so excited and I was like, that's awesome. This kid had an environment where he could invite a friend to be a part of the growing experience of what it means to follow Jesus. Many of you may or may not know this. We have a tutoring program that we offer for free on on Wednesday and Thursday nights. We had to open up Thursday night because there were so many students from our community that were looking for support and help. Last year, the government gave us a bunch of money to start that program. And this year we're funding it because we believe it matters in the life of students here in our community. Listen to this story from our tutor. We have a grade 11 student came, he struggles with self-esteem. His parents are very discouraging. They told him he could not get into university, so he should not even try because his grades were not good enough. This student began to internalize that and believed he was not smart enough to attend university. He had not tried as hard in school and did not think he had much of a future. He did not plan to apply for university and did not think he would have a job after graduation. So our tutor, as they got to know him, told him how smart and talented he was. He was told that he was good at English and social studies and how he has the grades and the skills to apply to university. A few weeks later, our tutor had learned that this student was looking at various colleges and university because he was planning to pursue post-secondary. He told the tutor how he went to Sate's open house and was planning to go to more open houses. He was looking up requirements of specific programs and was researching on institutions around Alberta to see what programs each school offers. He said he wanted to pursue a career in mechanical engineering or software technology and that he was going to try to apply next year. A student who was initially belittled by his parents and told he had no future has now visited post-secondary institutions around Calgary and has a set plan for his future. This is the impact and the power that this tutoring program has, which you fund. Isn't that cool? Last Pentecost weekend, we had 54 people walk through the waters of baptism. Life change is happening here at Southview. So you ask, does it matter if I give a dollar to the year-end giving? Well, it matters to the family on Stony Nakoda that's going to have food this Christmas. It matters to this student who's going to potentially have a future and a job. It matters to our junior high students who want to invite their friends out to know who Jesus is. And it matters to those who walk through the waters of baptism as they're being transformed by the life of Christ each and every day. What you give matters. And I'm extremely proud of this church for what you do week in and week out. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, our rest of our staff and our board. So thank you for partnering with us. And we invite you to join in the mission as we continue to seek to lead as many as possible to passionately follow Jesus. Amen. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. If you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And then additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Greetings, Southview. It is so great to see you this evening. 
Uh, first off, just excuse my voice. I was sick a couple weeks ago, but for whatever reason, my voice has taken a while to catch up to how the rest of my body's feeling. But it's great to be able to be with you here today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Clyde called me and asked me if I'd be willing to preach. And then he told me, I want you to preach on Revelation 20. And if you are all a studier of Scripture, you will know this is one of the most controversial uh, chapters. And so now I'm wondering uh, why I've got this. But I'm really excited about uh, what God has placed on my heart to share with you, because I really do think this is actually one of the most poignant uh, Christmas messages that many of you in this room need to hear tonight. So I want to begin by giving you a little bit of backstory about, about me. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Bryce. I'm currently the Dean of Theology at Ambrose University. Ambrose is uh, our Christian Missionary Alliance, our family of churches school here in, uh, in, in Canada. And, and my responsibility is I oversee the ministry training programs of our undergraduates and our seminary. In fact, right now this evening, we have a house full of seminary students from around the world who are gathered in my home with my wife hosting as they have their Christmas party. And it is such a joy, honestly, to see what God is doing in the lives of men and women who are training for the work of ministry, both here in Canada and literally around the world through the ministry of our school at Ambrose. Um, this is my family. You can see us. This is actually just from a couple of weeks ago. Um, my daughter there on the left, this is the premiere of, of a movie she was working on. She is a graduate of the State Film and Video Production Program, and this was the, the premiere of her first IMDb credit. So for those of you in that industry, like that, that's a big deal. So we are very proud of her. That's my wife, Lori, next to her. My son, Nathaniel, with the beard in the middle, who is finishing a political science degree. And on the very right, you'll see Lucas. We'll get to him later. But Lucas is the joy of our life. He has Down syndrome, and he has a social life that exhausts my wife and I. He has a wonderful girlfriend, and they love each other deeply, and this is just a little side. What started as beautiful texting back and forth with him and his girlfriend were just super encouraging all the time. I, literally, I would want to take screenshots and share it to premarital families. So this is how you should actually text your spouse. Like, you're doing great. Keep it up. Love you. You got this. Like, totally encouraging. And now it's like, now Lucas gets them, and he's like, she's, you know, his girlfriend would be like, I love you, Lucas. And he'll respond, I know. It's like, dude, you got to keep this up for the sake of your relationship. But that's, that's our kind of glimmer of our family. One of the things as we hit our kind of Christmas time is my wife loves nativity sets. And so if you look at this next slide, you'll be able to see this is a display currently in our bonus room of all the nativity sets. In fact, I brought one of them and placed it here. And you probably have one of these in your home. It's most likely, if you got the basic one, has baby Jesus, I hope. Baby Jesus is there at least. And you got Mary and Joseph. Uh, maybe you got like the hipster version like this, taking the selfie and the Segway, you know, or, or, or maybe you have this one here, which maybe is a little bit more humorous, but you got random people, a dinosaur, etc. But you know what I'm talking about. This is the nativity. My kids sometimes have fun with ours and there'll be random characters who show up. But if you got the basic one or maybe you've got the really complex one that's got you know all of the magi or the kings, it's got the shepherds, it's got a variety of animals, angels, etc. You probably have all of these, but I bet that many of you don't have one of the most key, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this, this uh, today, one of the key characters of the nativity, 
Are you ready? This is a key one, and I'm going to encourage you to get it for your nativity. A dragon. If you want a biblical nativity set, you need a dragon. Now you're saying, Bryce, that's crazy. Well, if you're here with me, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12 and see the story of the first advent from God's perspective. Because this will be important for us as we look at the scripture and Revelation 20 in a few minutes. But I want to set the story for the first advent and then we'll talk about the second advent when Jesus will return. And in both, we see a red dragon. So Revelations chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Self, you friends, this is the word of the Lord. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the, sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so it might devour her child the moment it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, we're going to talk about the red dragon later, but this is a sign kind of of the nativity, at least that's one interpretation of this, from God's perspective. And I want you to hear this as we look at this evening, that even at the birth of Christ, however that took place and whatever the imagery is here and however we interpret this, but do you understand that Jesus has come, the, the, the son of God in human flesh, in an infant the nature of the lamb, the pure spotless lamb that was born, that would be shed for the sin of the world, given to a humble young woman and man, married in this weird uh, setting, ostracized from everyone in a stable. And in the moment of Jesus' birth and his first advent, Satan, the evil one, the serpent, the red dragon, as Revelation puts it, is stalking him. Do you feel the ten intensity? Because this Christmas, this Advent, I bet in many ways, the red dragon, the serpent Satan, is stalking us and you. So let's pause this for a moment we're going to come back to this because you're going to see the red dragon again in Revelation chapter 20 that we'll look at this evening. So now flip over in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Now you're in this series through Revelation, this series in Advent as we talk about the first Advent, now the second Advent as we look forward to Jesus' return. And as we study the book of Revelation, it's important to know a couple of things about this very unique book of the Bible. First, it's what's called apocalyptic literature. This is a, a specific form of literature, particular genre of writing in its time. It's not the only kind, it's not the only kind of, uh, uh, kind of um, book of its kind in its day. And it was always given to people who needed hope. Always given to people in the midst of persecution. Always given to people who needed to find a sense of hope and meaning and purpose when everything around them seemed bleak. 
So this is the image, and it's always filled with imagery that's maybe hard to interpret and understand, but it's, it's not kind of an unusual type of genre for its time. It was a very, a very common form of literature, so people would have known to take it symbolically and try to find meaning and purpose, especially in the midst of their suffering and their persecution. The second thing for us to understand as we interpret this and look at it is we have to recognize that this is given at a time of immense persecution for the church. And I can't overstate this enough. Just put yourself in a time machine. Get yourself a DeLorean, go 88 miles an hour, and go back in time to when this was written. And if you were sitting in church, most likely a small group, gathered in secret because Roman rule was trying to track you down and kill you, you would gather and see empty seats. Not the empty seats that we would see of praying for someone to fill it. Empty seats because people would have been beheaded, killed, burned alive because they confessed that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Do you get the, the sense of this? The, 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 the deep meaning, the immense persecution? That was people who were reading this desperate for hope, desperate to find out who wins in the end, desperate to know that Jesus is in fact victorious because in their perspective, evil, the dragon, is winning. Third, if you read the book of Revelation and try to interpret it, and you are not blessed or encouraged or filled with hope, then friends, you're reading it wrong. In fact, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 explicitly says, if you hear this book read, you will be blessed. It's the one book of the Bible that gives its promise. And if you're like me, you drew, grew up in Christian generational trauma, because I remember being in youth group taken to some church basement with a old, like literally film projector, because I'm old, that we would show on the wall, we would watch the old Thief in the Night videos, that was kind of a particular way, way of interpreting this that ended with like the guillotine coming down. And I remember as a child just being freaked out and scared and I must have given my life to Jesus 150,000 times just to make sure my name was in the book of life, right? It was just, it, it, it was seen to be filled up. I'm gonna figure everything out and it, and it's kind of brought a sense of fear and dread that is not actually the purpose of Jewish apocalyptic literature, and it's not the purpose of revelation. It's given to provide you hope. And so even as we look at this particular portion of Scripture, and even as we look at this thing called the millennia, the, white, you know, the great white throne judgment, and the sense of this red dragon, I want you to be filled with hope as a follower of Jesus. Because that's the purpose of this book as we look at it together. Not to figure out the what or the when, but to understand the beauty of the who, of who Jesus is and why he is worthy of our worship. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to look through these three themes, the millennium, the great white throne, and the red dragon. So first, Revelation chapter 20. Friends, this is the word of the Lord we're going to read in its entirely entirety, so let's, let's jump into it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge were, uh, was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded by the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or the image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, right? These are their friends who just had been killed and persecuted and beheaded. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will be reigned with him for a thousand years. And then the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So first, let's look at this season of time, this millennia, this 1,000 years. Because John's vision here includes the, the, the binding of Satan and a 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth before the great white judgment, or the great, sorry, white throne judgment, and the creation of the new heaven and new earth. Now, throughout history, and I mean history, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there's been different ways to understand this. There's in fact, three particular ways uh, has been understood over the history of time, um, some of which in different kind of seasons of the church life, but no doubt there's three kind of main ways of understanding when this thousand years takes place and what John is referring to here in these thousand years. So the first, and you can maybe see the chart on here, this is a simple chart I found on the internet that I think helps explain this. First is the premillennial idea. This is the idea that Jesus returns before the millennia. This was very popular for probably the last 50 to 100 years. In fact, if you grew up in the church like I did in the 80s and 90s and all the fascination with Revelation as we came up to the end of the millennium, which by the way happens every time we come up to a millennium turn, there's always a fascination with the book of Revelation. And in that, 
Premillennialism was a big deal, particularly in evangelical churches. This is the idea of Jesus' second coming occurring before the millennia. And then the binding of Satan has yet to happen in the future. So Jesus comes back, Satan is bound, and then there's a thousand years, which is a literal future with Christ's reign on earth after his second coming. And then after that, the loosening of Satan will happen following with the destruction of Satan, the white, throne, white great throne judgment, and the creation of the new heaven and new earth. That's one way of understanding this that's been done throughout the centuries. Another way is amillennialism. This is the idea that the millennium is just simply symbolic, like many of the other things in Revelation. And that the binding of Satan refers to the victory of Christ on the cross. And the millennium is kind of the age of the church that we are in now. And then eventually the fire from heaven will be symbolic of Jesus' second coming, coming, followed by the white great throne judgment and the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. And then there's postmillennialism, which is the idea that Jesus returns after the millennia and that the millennia is a set period of time that will happen, that we experience unprecedented fruit and optimism and the expansion of the church. And there's a distinct... Uh, future period before Jesus' eventual second coming. These are all three ways of understanding um, how the millennia happens and how to understand this according to Revelation 20. And I'm not here to espouse any one of these. Instead, I actually want to challenge us to look at this in a different way. Because believers throughout history have interpreted this differently. But the hope remains true in each. Hope that our lives, our struggles our sorrows, our tribulations, our disappointments, our sufferings, all of that is seen in the light of a long march of time in light of Jesus' glory and victory. And in that, we can have hope. Because my short or your short time on this earth, probably less than 100 years, I'm going to imagine for most of us, unless you're really young now, and who knows how long you'll be able to live with future technology. But for most of us, that's the case. And if you were born, you know, 100 years ago, most people lived only till they were probably 30 or 40, right? The sense of our lives in the backdrop of the long history of time gives us a deep and abiding sense of hope. Hope that our life is worth something in the midst of all of the challenges of our life. Hope that Jesus will return and we don't know when or we don't know how. And even as we try to understand the millennia, the sense of this long season of time and our short glimmer of it in our lives gives us hope that there's something bigger than us and we're part of a bigger story than we can consider. And even in our lives and our challenges, all seen in this backdrop provides us a sense of purpose and of hope. If you've seen the movie Dead Poets Society, you'll see Robin Williams' character get up on a desk and chant to everyone to what? Carpe diem, right? To seize the day. And I'm going to suggest in many ways the, the, the millennia is kind of more like a carpe futurum, more like a seize the future. Recognize in the long history of time, our season of our life right now is short. And in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, he's victorious. And in the end, my life matters because it's part of something bigger than this short glimmer of life, whatever that may be, however long that may be for you or for I. In the scheme of things, there's so much hope to have because the, the perspective is so much bigger. 
So put yourself in the church 2,000 years ago in the midst of persecution and not sure if you're going to last tomorrow in the sense that there's something bigger and you're a part of a story that was much longer and the hope and the truth and the promise that in the end, Jesus will win. Now, John goes on in his vision to now talk a little bit about the great white throne judgment. This is the sense of uh, Jesus' second coming, the millennia. And then there's this sense of, of the, 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 the great white throne judgment where, where the books will be open. And primarily the picture is here of the book of life, these names on it that, that we will be read. And those who are in the book of life find eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. This picture and image might seem strange and bizarre for you or for I, but again, it's important to see this in context. Again, imagine living in the midst of great persecution, not knowing if you'll see tomorrow or what will happen as a result, not, not sure if in the end evil does win, if in the end the great dragon does prevail, that where is the hope? If this is you and you are in that circumstance, this picture and image that there is a book that your name is clearly written in would provide such hope as it does for them, even as it does for you or for I. Because it confronts the narrative that the truth in the most, most the truth that in the, mo, the midst of the most severe suffering and persecution, Jesus wins. Love wins. Truth wins. Hope wins. Not because of power, privilege, or works, not because of the things you have done. Those are the other books or the things you don't get in because of the things you did, but because of the book of life. And the only way to get in there is because of Jesus, right? As it says clearly in Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And again, the context is saying this is scandalous because you had to declare that Caesar was Lord. So declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Your name will be permanently itched in the book of life. Imagine that hope for someone who's looking at empty seats in their gathering and wondering if they will be next. The hope that they are in the book of life. Friends, this is hope for you and for me. This is the hope that even was proclaimed at the birth of Jesus to the shepherds right by the angels. Do not be afraid because I bring you great good news that will be great joy for all the people. That today, the Savior has been born, the one who will bring you hope, the one whose belief and trust in will itch your name permanently in the book of life. This is the hope for us. I said earlier, I talked about our son Lucas who has Down syndrome. And one of Lucas's things is he likes to write names. I'm not making this up. This is a real thing. And if we kept all of his books, which he would love us to do, we would have to buy another house to store them all in. This is about two weeks in the pandemic. Um, people, we were, we were buying these, these things on bulk and asking our friends if they had scribblers because he would just fill them out so fast. And he has all of his uh, books that he collects from uh, like his yearbooks from school. And he has them countless ones stacked together. And he'll look and he'll write the names out and he goes and writes them out and writes them out and writes them out. And that's the way it is. And then for a while at church, he would, when, when I was pastoring, he would stand in the foyer and write people's names as they come in. In fact, we would joke that 
in the end of the days, Lucas is going to be in charge of the book of life and all the names. So you'll probably see him there when your name is read. Um, and he will keep detailed track of it, right? But this is the image. This is the hope for you and for me. The hope that our name as followers of Jesus are written in the book of life. It's why reading Revelation should bring you hope in the midst of whatever pain or sorrow you are in. And it's why I want to end where we began. I want to end by looking at the dragon. The dragon who was at the first coming, looking down at Jesus and stalking him. Because the major, the devil stalked Jesus. But in the end, as we read in Revelation 20, the dragon is destroyed and Jesus, the lamb who was slain, is victorious. This Christmas, may you, maybe you need this truth in your life. Maybe you need a dragon in your nativity as a reminder that although the dragon stalks, Jesus is victorious. Because how is the dragon stalking you? Because can you feel his sour breath on your neck? The sour breath of sin, a vicious cycle of temptation in your life, maybe bitterness towards other, maybe selfishness that gets to your heart and is infecting your marriage and your relationships. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's shame, the, the words whispered in its sour breath of condemnation. The stalking of Satan in your life the dragon of sin, or maybe it's worry. Worry about relational brokenness. Worry about your children. Worry about your economic future. Worried about whatever it might be. Worry, worry, worry. This, this kind of longing, deep breath in your life of the dragon stalking you. Or maybe it's death and disease and suffering. Maybe you're in the midst of the shadow of death and the valley you are traversing is long and it's lonely and you're wondering how you can make it another day with the pain or the sorrow or the frustration or the, the challenges or whatever the diagnosis is of you or a loved one. You can feel the breath of the dragon breathing. Maybe this Christmas then, you need a dragon in your nativity as a reminder that although the dragon stands at the nativity and stalks, it's conquered on the cross and eventually will be thrown into the pit of fire. So maybe Jesus is calling you this Christmas to give up and reject sin through repentance, to turn to Jesus in confession and repentance. And, and as scripture says, God's kindness calls us to repentance, to turn from our sin and find hope and meaning and forgiveness and lack of shame, instead honor and no more fear and instead hope in Jesus. Or maybe it's to give up worry and hear the breath of the dragon call worry to you and instead turn in faith to Jesus who conquers the dragon and give him control because Jesus is good and Jesus will lead you. You do not have to fear. You can have faith. You do not have to worry. Jesus has this in your life. Or maybe it's suffering and disease and death. It's stalking you. Maybe this Christmas you need a dragon to remind you of the hope. Hope that Jesus and promise that he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And hope that Jesus has conquered sin and death. 
and hope that no matter what may happen in your life, no matter what diagnosis or eventual reality of that might be, Jesus is victorious. Your name is written in the book of life and there is hope. Jesus, our great hope. So as we examine Revelation 20 this evening, may I, I, my hope and prayer is like the early church who would have read this. You wouldn't be caught up in all the hows, although that's fascinating, and the whens, although you can create lots of charts. I saw them lots as a kid. I'm not trying to demean that, but I am saying don't miss the who. Don't miss the fact that you can be captivated by Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, Jesus who conquered sin and death on a cross, captivated by the majesty and holiness and awesomeness of Jesus, who is worthy of our praise. And in it, find repentance and faith and hope because Jesus has conquered sin and death and he has conquered the dragon who stalks us. Because although the dragon stalks, Jesus is victorious. So this evening, I think we're going to end at the most beautiful of places. We're going to enter the table of Jesus. The table that reminds us of Jesus' death and resurrection. The lamb who was slain. We're going to be reminded of Jesus who gave his life for you or for me so that in him we may have abundant and eternal life. And in him, our name is written in the book of life, not because of anything we have done, but because of Jesus. This meal to which we receive and to which we experience God in a very particular way, we come around together. So if you grab your communion elements, we're reminded, church, Jesus is the bread of life, broken for you and for me. And Jesus is the cup, not spilled as an act of a mistake, but poured out for us, for you and for me, intentionally given for your sin and for mine so we may have life together. So grab your cracker and hear this from Scripture. For what I received from the Lord, I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Now, in the same way, he took the cup after supper. So this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Until he comes. So we remember together. Let's partake and proclaim it until he comes. I'll self you. As you go into your week and all that Advent will bring, as you go into Christmas this year, may you consider maybe including a dragon in your nativity as a reminder that the dragon stalks. It stalked Jesus. It stalks you and me through sin and worry and fear and, and, and disease and death and suffering. And yet the truth and the promise that although the dragon stalks, Jesus 
And Jesus alone is victorious. And in it, we can place our hope. And in it, we can find life abundant and eternal. Would you go in peace and know that Jesus wins? Amen.